the show you're about to hear discusses films, books, and TV shows in their entirety. Twists, endings, and all. Without fear of spoilers. So if you don't want to know who dies, who done it, or how it all ends, we strongly advise you switch off now. Hello, I'm Paul Tyler, and welcome to Spoiler. This week we're watching series one of the Netflix sci-fi thriller, Dark. And just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole of the series. We will ruin it for you. So if you've not already seen all of series one of Dark, go away, watch it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right, on with the show. Here in the UK, we have a running joke that we would never move to an area called Midsummer albeit from a fictional Sunday evening detective show. This is because of the stupendously high murder count, 246 since 1997 to be precise. If the setting for the German Netflix hit Dark were real, you wouldn't want to be an employee at the Wyndham Tourist Office. It would certainly be challenging, and you might want to produce some umbrellas for the Tourist Office gift shop, as it doesn't just rain here, it hammers it down. A lot. And so, before we find out the critical response to Dark, a couple more lazy and almost unnecessary comparisons to our favourite ITV3 murder mystery. Take, for example, the soundtrack. The producers of Midsummer Murders go for light-hearted menace, something that won't put you off your dinner. Dark, however, took the title of the piece and went with it big time. This is the sound of someone opening a letter. any old missing child murder mystery is its relationship with time. Now, while Midsummer Murders is almost certainly stuck in one time frame, that of Middle England, the writers of Dark haven't just bought Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time, they bought Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time and read it. And not only have they bought Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time and read it, they bought Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time and read it and understood it. While some had branded Dark as Stranger Things for grown-ups, The Guardian found that too simplistic. Ron Ray Becker wrote that this comparison was a distraction from Dark's own quality, hinting that, other than a couple of scenes, everything is tuned into the show's dense and foreboding frequency. The other comparison that is frequently used is Les Revenants, but as Daniel Feinberg writes in The Hollywood Reporter, while the French drama led with character and spirituality its German counterpart is dominated by plot, leading the writer to be initially frustrated at just how little Dark was showing me about its characters and how little investment I was feeling in them. So, is this classic binge-watching bonanza? Did any of the spoiler team get a warning from their employers for being late the next day after a whole night of saying, OK, just one more? Or is Dark more subtle than that? Is it TV that actually allows you to get to the end of an episode and want to go away and think about what just happened? Later in the show, we'll be taking a look at cinema's obsession with time travel. But first, joining me here in the studio to discuss Dark are On mein Mann mit vielen dunklen Geheimensinnen Andy Golden <laughs> and... Ein Früher hier um uns der Sunkluft zu entfrochen. 
Rachel Burnett. <laughs> and you know what I love about that is you're not going to be able to ever find out what I was calling you because when you zoom that through a Google Translate, it won't but work. Make sense. It won't work. It won't work. We to do a... Anyway. Uh, right, so let's go with Rachel. Rachel, this one's a laugh a minute, right? No, um, no, it's not hilarious, obviously, but it is wonderful. I have to, um, full disclosure, I have to admit something that oh, I'm going to have to be very careful about in this whole bit. Mm. I have watched season two as well. Oh, you don't want I now. didn't mean to. Yeah. It just happened. Because I watched season one when it first came out, and so I've been waiting desperately for season two. Okay. And I'm then just, when just... we said we were going to do it, I was like, oh, okay. So I rewatched season one, and then it just kept playing, <laughs> and I couldn't stop it, and I'm really sorry. <laughs> okay, well, let's, let's clear this. You've not been in any trouble with your employers, right? No, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. Just in trouble with my housemate for keeping him up far too late, because mm. he's been watching it too. Mm. But um, So I have printed out a family tree of season one family, and the characters for season one in an effort to make sure that I don't do any kind of spoiling. So I'm I'm and sure I'll be fine. Well, but. certainly the family tree, race. I'd love to uh, take a picture of them. We'll share that on social media, I think. Awesome. Uh, which, which is probably the most professional sentence I've uttered in this studio <laughs> while, while we've all been together. It's, that's, what normal, that's what normal radio uh, dudes do, talk yes. about, isn't it? They do. Share it on social media. Well, the fact that I've actually created a family tree um, is quite... Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm in absolute <laughs> awe because... I was just going to sit here and say, well, you know that person who he, he walked past that fella or the kid in the yellow coat, <laughs> yeah, obviously. Yeah, obviously. Uh, I've made three or four notes down here. I've only got two pages pages of homework with me. Three or four of those notes are, where can I buy that yellow coat? <laughs> would I look good in the yellow coat? <laughs> yes. Where, would I put the hood up more yeah, perhaps now? Definitely. It's just going to collect in that hood of, of his, isn't it? Yeah. Because it rained a lot. Um, all right, so I, I think we know where Rachel's going with this. Andy... Uh, yeah. You're no stranger to foreign stuff with subtitles. <laughs> how did, that's, that's true, yeah. How did, uh, this, how did this one grab you? Well, oddly enough, I had a problem with this oh. right off the bat. I watched it for about 10 minutes and immediately something seemed off. You want the I yellow just, coat, was it? I, could, I just couldn't settle into it at all. And I looked into it and what it was was that I'd accidentally set the language to Portuguese. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was so, Rachel was so adamant that we couldn't watch this dubbed. Watch it with subtitles, watch it with subtitles. So I made sure, yeah, the subtitles are set up. <laughs> Wrong language. Oh, no. <laughs> so I went back and started it again. Now, a bit, bit of a pit stop here, but I realised looking back on this series of spoilers so far that the three of us haven't agreed once this series on anything. Mm-hmm. We start with Singing in the Rain. Paul didn't mm-hmm. like it. Bohemian Rhapsody. I wasn't keen. Rachel a bit lukewarm on Hand of the Baskervilles. Uh, not keen on Top Gun. So I thought, we always say it makes more interesting radio when that happens. But it's also nice to have a bit of a love in. I thought maybe this week will be will be the week. I know I knew Rachel loved this already. She was the one who recommended it, who brought it to us. It's made after 2010, so I thought that'll be Paul sorted. Woo-hoo. I've heard so many recommendations from friends, from acquaintances. It's so highly acclaimed. I thought this will finally be the episode where we all agree. <laughs> and after watching Dark, I'm sorry, but this ain't going to be the episode oh, where we all agree. No. I want to qualify my comments beforehand because a lot of the criticisms I have are demonstrably not the case for other people. I don't want to put anyone off watching the series because so many people love this. Uh, They find it addictive. They've immersed themselves in it in a way that I was unable to do. So I don't want to drive anyone away. What I do want to do is reassure anyone else who had a similar reaction to mine that they're not alone because it is hard being shut out of a major phenomenon like this. And having to sit through ten episodes of it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, that's that's a good segue to my next point because I think I really need to make it understood just how much I struggled with this <laughs> oh, series. Yeah. I've had such a miserable time oh, with this no. <laughs> uh, to the point where I actually had to take a few days' holiday from it <laughs> because it was ruining my life. <laughs> um, I, I knew that. I didn't really like it by episode four, and I knew I had <laughs> six episodes to get through. Uh, so I thought, right, I'll try and rip off the band-aid. Uh, we'll do two episodes a day for the next three days, and it'll be done. <laughs> now, people have said, this is addictive, I couldn't stop watching it. But, like, going to those episodes each day, I was like a man being led to the gallows who's been told that he can set the pace I was like, <laughs> one day I tried to do two episodes back to back and I nearly had to call 111. This thing is it's hung over me like an unwanted house guest <laughs> who you just don't know how to relate to, but you know you're going to have to spend two hours with every day. And this house guest didn't leave my house or my head until I finally got to the end of that 10th chapter. And to be honest, until I exercise it with this <laughs> spoiler recording, I don't think I'll get the stink out of my house. <laughs> wow. So I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, this really wasn't for me. <laughs> okay. I think that's an understatement. <laughs> I'm just uh, popping to the end of... Uh, uh, normally, one of the very, very easy questions I always write down, it's almost like it could be on the, you know, on the spreadsheet every time. Uh, will you have you go on to watch Weird Series 2? <laughs> uh, Rachel, yes. Andy? No. No. <laughs> What's that covered? Well, thanks for that. Um, okay, well, I mean, you've defended it. You defended your opinion there, Andy. Now, in, in, in the opening, um, it's not... I don't just go and copy and paste any old... Well, all right, mostly. I don't go and copy, <laughs> copy and paste any old quotes from that. I, I usually try and find something that gives either an alternative opinion or something that I think we might think. So uh, Daniel Feinberg writing The Hollywood Reporter talking about uh, how little Dark was showing of the characters and it was all... It was all plot yeah now i think and i've certainly written a note to this effect for a good proportion of this if not most of this there's not one likable character in there therefore you don't really explore the characters but there's a, a lot of plot right yeah um and, and but this is apparently fine for you rachel <laughs> yeah i love jonas what's wrong with him and regina's hard done by so i absolutely agree there's a lot of very unlikable characters in this but this is something about this place about Wyndon, that's very dark it's dark by name dark by nature and i'm afraid to say humans can be quite awful mm-hmm. um, and it does seem that this particular town is populated with very awful people well, but there it, could be more reasons for this my and problem, season two is going to show you some stuff but, my problem um, with it wasn't wasn't that they weren't likable characters i just couldn't get a handle on them at all they didn't seem they seemed to be very thinly drawn uh, i i didn't feel that there there was any complexity to them and i certainly felt that i mean again I want to say demonstrably, this isn't the case for everyone because so many people didn't feel this way. But I felt that they really fumbled the introductions of them. I felt that you get the most perfunctory sort of fleeting moments of them. And then immediately you start, we start going back in time. We start meeting past versions of them and we're expected to remember who these people are, who we've barely seen anything interesting about yet. But do you think that's maybe done on purpose? Because if you give you too much, then they're going to explain too much about what they're going to do in the past. You see, yeah. if, you, if you already know what that person's going to be like and what they're going to do, there's no mystery in how they're going to react oh, when yeah, they're younger absolutely. or when they're older. Absolutely. I and, mean, and it does sort of... It, I'm not, not going to talk about season two, but it does expand on that a lot more because 
characters change from what you think they are to what they actually are. And if they'd given you too much at the beginning, there'd be no reveal. There's a hell of a lot of reveal that happens. And if, if you say, right, this is, say, Hannah, this is who she is, that sort of slow reveal of what she actually is. Is she terrible? Lots of people hate her um, on Twitter and stuff. She really is the demon for a lot of people. But are there reasons why? And then you, you slowly peel away bits of it as you go through it. But you do have to remember every single thing that you're yeah. shown. And that's, that's really hard. That's my issue. This is the problem that I have. It's not, I understand the, what they're going for. And it's sort of like you piece it together as you mm. go along. But I don't feel that we had enough to understand who everyone was by the time we had to know who their past versions of them were and who... So, like, the early moments, yeah, I understand they're withholding information because that's coming later. But when you get such a minimal amount of information about each person, I just lost track of who everyone was because I had nothing to go with. So there's that moment in the third episode where they start showing images split down the middle of the screen. They show who the past person is and who the... And I was like, yeah, I remember seeing that person, but I don't remember any because because what we've seen of them already was so minor and so just dull that I've got nothing to to link them together. That is odd because obviously I managed to do that. Yeah. And, and why? How did I manage well, to do that? Because you're, you're far more analytical and cleverer than I am. <laughs> so I well, thought you'd have it really do down you pat. That, you see, I've, I've analysed it a little bit, why I think it's happened to me. And I think that... One thing I found while doing spoiler in particular is that I like things to really have both a, a prominent heart and brain. And I felt like this really lacked heart. Mm. And so to me, it felt like the writers had they'd laid out this really complex plot, but they'd fallen in love so much with, with the game board that they'd set out that they'd failed to whittle any kind of recognisable characters. And maybe that's a bit harsh because obviously it gets pieced together. So maybe maybe it's not that they didn't whittle complex characters. It's just the way they chose to introduce those complexities. There's nothing to get handle on at the beginning. So by the time the, the complexities start to come into it, I found I'd lost the plot. And the interesting thing to me was that I did go online to see if people, anyone felt the same way. And there were lots of people who felt the same way as me who loved it. And they'd done similar to the family tree you've got there. Mm. People have constructed these intricate family trees. And there was genuinely people on there saying, uh, oh, don't worry, you'll start to get it on your 4-3 watch. Oh, no. And I was like... No, I got it on the first. I... (laughs) I'm not, you shouldn't have I, to watch I, it that many I times. I struggled to get through it once. So yeah, no, don't if, watch it again. If I'm not going <laughs> to. Don't do it to yourself. Uh, I even tried because uh, one of our spoiler fans said uh, on our Facebook page said, "Try watching it dubbed yeah. because then you won't have to." But it's not normally a problem for me. No. I can usually deal with. It, so I, I, I did try and watch a dub, watch it dubbed. If anything, I found that even more distracting because yeah. it just. No, the dub's awful. It's weird. It takes out. It's, it's a very bad dub, isn't it's it? A, Terrible. Sometimes, I mean, I mean, whatever it takes for people to enjoy it, and whatever it Hmm. takes for people to get a handle on it, I don't mind people watching the dub, but. It's a very bad dub. It, it really is. It really is. I started watching it because it, it automatically defaults to the dub, doesn't it, when you first yeah. put it on? And I was like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> so I've been doing the subtitles. Yeah. But, um, That's when warned. I said it to Portuguese. Yeah, yeah that was even really more weird. <laughs> but, so that nah. was dubbed into Portuguese and then... Yeah, yeah. 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 So I, was I like, can't well, imagine. The, 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 what the still <laughs> don't match. What's going on? Oh, I know what I'm doing tomorrow morning now. Um <laughs> I didn't. I very nearly went to Dublin on this only because I wanted to eat while watching it, and it is, it is one of those things where you can't miss. You can't. You couldn't miss. No, you can't look away from the screen. Much about it. No. Um, well, Andy can. 
<laughs> Please, it's over. Um, oh, yeah, a friend of the show and creator of our brilliant theme tune, Ron Butcher, he sat me down once, and I, I don't know if ever you've ever seen Better Call Saul. Mm. Was it a spin-off from Breaking Bad? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've never got to it. I didn't quite get through Breaking Bad. Yeah, so. no, me neither, me neither. Anyway, <laughs> that. But he sat, he sat me down, and he said, just watch the first ten minutes of this. And you know what I'm like with recommendations? Ugh. Man alive. But what his, his point was, he only wanted to make a point, was that every scene, or even every frame, he said, would could be considered a work of art, just the way the cinematography yeah. was. Now, there's got to be something, Andy, that... I mean, and I, I think... As brilliantly to sum up our, our spoiler team, I sit on the fence actually here because uh, this one, this one for Should change. I know. <laughs> this one for me was an, an absolute slow burner. As in, I wasn't thinking about the next episode. As we said in the intro, I wasn't thinking about the next episode until eight, nine, ten. Then it was a case of right. I've got you know. Mm. I, I really now want to see what's going on. This is I'm intrigued. That's that, when that, I went. Oh God, there's another timeline. <laughs> <laughs> just broke down in tears. <laughs> yeah. For me, there's, for me, there's, there was there was it was too late. That was too late. I think if I hadn't have been doing this for spoiler. And actually, I think I did start watching this once and then only came back to it again mm. because of spoilers. So I think yeah. I think that's the case. But this, you've got to say that it's worth it, right? And all your trauma <laughs> of watching this is worth it for that low-slung shot of the concrete schoolyard on a windy day. I would say I do, like, absolutely admire this for, like, it looks incredible. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't deny that at all. Mm. It, does, it has an absolutely incredible look. Uh, it made it even more frustrating for me because I wanted to love it because mm. it it looks so great. But for me, in my mind, what I went to was uh, Howard Hawks is the big sleep. This is like a classic old mm. gangster, like a film noir. And a lot of critics, it's notoriously got an impossible to follow plot. And critics these days, like loads of them say... That doesn't matter. What matters is you get to know you get to know the characters, and it's it's very uh, very analytical of the of Humphrey Bogart's detective and everything. And yeah, that there is good dialogue and there's good characters and everything. But as it goes along, suddenly people start shooting each other, and you don't know why. And then it gets boring because you've <laughs> lost the thread. And so that's that's what happened to me here. So yeah, I I think it was it looked beautiful, but. But to me, there was there was very little else be- beautiful about it. I didn't even really like the music, which I know people love. I found it a little bit intrusive at times. Mm, samey. I, I felt... Yeah, yeah. There's, there's one scene where there's... Uh, I don't know the character names. There's a, <laughs> there's the priest... Noah. And the young boy, is it Mickle? Oh, oh the youngest boy, Mickle. And they're, talk- they're sat there talking on a bed. Oh, yeah, that is And Mikkel. at one... Like every every time they say something like even vaguely ominous, the music goes, mm, and it cuts like right across it. I thought at times the music is atmospheric and it's keeping that that atmosphere up, but at times it just cuts right across it and it takes me out of it because it it seems like someone leaning in and going, ooh, dark. Mm. It's. I have to defend the composer because it wasn't. Um, it wasn't composed to picture. Ah, uh, right. He, yeah. he didn't actually see anything. He was told the theme of it, and he just made a shed load of different bits of musical well, in, themes. In that case, that's pretty incredible. Yeah, man, that there was as, nothing. It worked as well as it does. Yeah. So the decisions of where the music went was entirely to do with the directorial team. And, and now, Rachel, as a huge fan of Dark, would you say it? For me, it completely missed as, as uh, any sense sense of humour. Oh there God, there's no, none of that. There's no. no. <laughs> one ounce no, of it. No, it's relentless. And they've got, sitting underneath them, a doorway in between 1953, 1986 and 1919. 
It's got to be a little, just something. <laughs> I think there was that. I think when we went back to, what's it? They always, they always, they always like to use tears for fears, don't they? In this, I think, I think they use tears for fears again in this. On that someone's wall, that's definitely dead yeah. or alive. Wasn't yeah, there? there's quite oh, a lot because yeah, yeah, of the yeah, eighties, because yeah. the nineteen eighty six setting. There's quite a lot of good soundtrack in that. That, that cheered me up through nearly eighty odd hours of viewing. <laughs> 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 uh, but that's that's it. I mean, unlike say, and oh, I'm reluctant to use the comparison, but I will. Mm. Which always means, right, I'm going to use the comparison. <laughs> but the, when, when I say I'm reluctant to do it, it means I know how corny this is. But if you look at something like The Bridge, and were you seen The Bridge? No. Oh, are you kidding me? No. Oh, what? Right, okay, audience, leave these two out of it. <laughs> between me and you. You know The Bridge, right? Because you've seen it because you're smart. Uh, saga, mate, Saga. When she goes, talk. All right? That's, <laughs> but just that, it's, that, it's dark. It's a dark program, but there's humour in it. Mm. And that can sometimes just keep you plodding on Mm. It right. is relentless. Yeah. Well, I can confirm that season two doesn't have any humour in it either. <laughs> um, I mean, before before we move on away from the music too much, it's quite a critical question, I think. I think so anyway. Bear in mind, my next question is I want that yellow coat. <laughs> <laughs> is that a question? It's more of a statement. It is. So the intro, I thought I, there's a skip intro button. Uh, did you skip the intro or were you quite, did you like the tune? And actually, just briefly again, just you and I, listener, that, that, that music for the bridge you never skipped that did you that was oh, that was just special special piece of music that Rachel would love wouldn't she thank you I, I do actually know the theme I've never watched the programme but I know the theme and it is do you great love it? yeah, yeah I do course, yeah. so did you so in the same zone did you like this one as much was it dramatic no, or you skipped not as it? much I, I tended to skip it because I just wanted to get on with the with the plot. I watched I'm, the I'm very ask Andy. first two. Well, it's, it's interesting because I I generally don't use those skip intro buttons because I I used to be a big fan of the series Six Feet Under and that had a really long opening title sequence. But every week I felt it it really set the tone for it and I used to watch the whole thing and enjoy the music and everything. But I, I think this this had an all right intro, but. It did just get to the point where I just wanted to get through each episode as quickly as I possibly could. <laughs> so, yeah, I did start skipping it. And I think it's probably also around about the time where I would say something along the lines of, well, let me tell you this. And it's got, it had to come up at some point on Mike that if you were to run through the night in a forest after watching this, you wouldn't be particularly happy. And this is, this is, where, <laughs> no. we have, this is where we have to bring out this. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I've not taken it off since. Uh, what I'm showing, uh, again, this is just between me and you, listener. I'm enjoying this. Talking to, directly to the listener. We'll like just leave the room, shall we? I feel like Terry, Terry Wogan. I've got uh, around my neck, uh, it says here, Robin Hood 100, Paul Tyler 2019, which means I did an ultramarathon. And um, how do you know you've met an ultramarathon runner? Oh, they'll let you know. <laughs> um, uh, I did it last weekend. But actually, in the forest at night time, it's a scary place. So my uh, my reaction to it, those trees. You've got a head torch on. Oh, the trees. The trees in the daytime, let alone the nighttime. Uh, so my reaction to it was I had uh, my bum bag, which uh, I lovingly refer to as a fanny pack. <laughs> and in it, I had my phone. I thought, well, I'm not going to put my headphones on. Um, but I just blurred out uh, all of Depeche Mode's 101 oh, live oh, album. Nice. So let me tell you, if you're stuck in the forest, <laughs> 1980s movies. I mean, really, I'm just trying to divert us back off of dark. <laughs> put, put a bit of, like it, put a bit of light in. I think everything we said up to now is right. I wouldn't go as far as Andy. I think I'll probably, I almost went on to um, series two today. Did you follow it? Okay. 
Yeah, but only as I was told you, I didn't get, I didn't second guess anything. Once things get with time travel, and I'm assuming I said this, knowing me, I'm assuming I said this when we did with Back to the Future, it kind of baffles me a bit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just, I'm happy to sit in a passenger seat rather than the driving seat in this and just roll along with it uh, and watch and, and see what happens. It wasn't even the, the time travel that bothered me, really. I struggled to just remember who people were in the same timeline because of the... So what about, how, here's, the, here's the thing, what I, what I did enjoy and what I thought was really well was the casting of the yeah. characters 33 years apart. I was about to I say thought that. pretty much on the button with mm. everybody. I totally agree. I think it makes it, it should have made it, a lot easier mm. because they did look a lot like their their modern counterparts. Yeah, I think it I think it would have done if I'd felt anything for them to begin with, like the first versions of them that I'd seen. So when that, that those bits came up that when by the way, here's who this mm. is. I was like, I can't remember anything about them because I, I've seen that one scene of them which told me very little and I didn't connect with them at all. I don't know what it is about me then because I, I was interested. Well, it's not. It's, it's, I just, don't think it's you that's the unusual one because... I, I seem to be in this room. <laughs> millions of people were, were... None of them so are in here with, with me characters. now. I feel like I'm very outvoted but because um, <sighs> neither of you liked it and I'm really struggling to understand properly why because it's... Yeah, okay, you didn't get much. But for some reason, somehow, myself and apparently millions of others managed to care. I didn't care about them, actually. I was Mm. just really interested. But you knew who they were. Yeah, and I knew exactly who they were. And because I knew that this was an ensemble piece and it was about missing children, it was going to be a mystery, I knew to pay attention to every single thing because it's a mystery. So I thought, right, let's really pay attention to everything that's going on. There is a lot. There's about 40-odd characters, though, isn't there? Main characters, if you'd like split it between, like... Yeah, you only need to themselves. concentrate on about 10 or 15. Um, that's yeah, not but, that but bad. When you, God, when you see, when you see yourselves. Them, when you see them come up, you <laughs> don't on. know if you're going to have to concentrate on them or not because you don't know who's coming back or who's not. Yeah. And so when they wheel out some, like, one scene slightly insulting trans person, you don't know if they're coming back later or not. Right. And that mm. was a big deal in online as well. That one scene with that trans person... For a lot of people, it really undermined a lot of the series because they said it was not very sensitive. How so? They said they were portrayed as a as a very kind of stereotype, kind of uh, someone who is just there to get in between a marriage. Oh, right. No, there's a lot more to that. <laughs> does, it, does that yeah. get picked up yeah, on Yeah, this later? is the thing. It's really frustrating. It's when you, I think this is the thing. <laughs> when you write a three-season story which is going to be split into all these different time zones, all these different backwards and forwards and this huge family tree. And if you saw the season two family tree, it's even more complicated. Oh, bloody hell. It's crazy. <laughs> but it's so difficult then to sort of, in, to judge it on one season. You need to, I'm not going to make you watch all three, young God's sake. But to, to sort of say, I don't know enough about that or that's badly portrayed, you don't know his whole story yet. So it you was can't written, possibly. It was written as this three-season three. thing, was it? Yeah. yeah, and obviously the decisions they've made about what they're going to put in season one and what they're going to put in season two and what's going to come out in season three means that you can't, in that first season, when it's going to be three seasons long, you can't give as much as you want in that first in that first ten minutes yeah. because you've undermined three seasons worth of reveal and layering and everything else. You can't give yeah. that much there because you've got nothing left in the third season to show. I understand there's a tightrope as well because if you just fill it with lousy exposition, yeah. which just like doesn't work as dialogue but makes you remember it, then that doesn't work either. Yeah. But I don't know. There's there's 
for me, there's an issue like if you make a first series and you've got, especially in in this day and age, you've got a trans character mm. and they're only going to appear once in the first season and there's going to be a break. Mm. There probably should be some issues about how you're going to portray them in that because you're not, no one's going to see it, see the rest of their story for a long time. They couldn't have been in it any any more than they were without revealing stuff. It's really awkward. Yeah. It 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 really is awkward. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many bits that I'm, I sort of want to say, well, this is why they did that, but I can't tell you. Yeah. And um, yeah, gosh, it is awkward because it really is a complete I, thing. And I haven't had another issue, which I'm not, I'm not, I wouldn't go in hard on this because I'm really not sure about how I feel about this point myself either. Mm. And I think it might be slightly kind of tempered by the fact that I found out I'm going to be a dad next mm-hmm. year. Uh, but when child murder is a big part of your storyline, you've got to be very careful how you use it. And mm. there was, there were moments in this where it it felt a little bit cheaply used. I'm thinking specifically of the end of the first episode, which is is a pubescent boy being like just strapped into this electric chair mm. device, and then bang credits. Mm. Please keep watching. It felt. I know you have to have those sort of things that drive people on to keep watching, but it felt like a bit of a cheap cliffhanger to to use the peril of a child as kind mm. of what was driving people on to carry on watching. It is incredibly complex. I understand what you're saying about the child murder thing. I totally get it. But as the themes get darker and it does turn into themes about evil, about goodness, about grey areas, about religion about all sorts of things there's major themes especially it's really explored in the second season I'm imagining it's going to go even deeper in the third and um, it's it's something that it's the motivation for um, certain characters to do what they're doing is because children have died so they want to stop that so they do things that you think they would never do Um, absolutely so you know like Twin Peaks which I proclaim myself to be a massive fan of yeah that is all, like the first thing you see there is the death of a schoolgirl right. wrapped in plastic mm. and that that's yeah. what drives that whole thing. So yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know why I was more okay with that. It's It could be something to do with you becoming a dad as well. Mm. I think there's certain ages when you can watch things like that and certain well, ages Paul, when you can't. Did you find that? Well, you know, so yeah, yeah, it's disturbing. It's very, very uncomfortable. But I think as your uh, children grow up, sometimes you think, mm, I quite fancy one of those chairs. <laughs> Good <Wow>. lord. <laughs> For generations, the big screen has captivated audiences with stories of time travel. In a quest to unearth some of cinema's less known transtemporal classics, Andy has fired up the flux capacitor to take a jaunt through time of his own. Since Marty McFly left flaming tyre tracks in the car park of the Twin Pines Mall, Cinema has been obsessed with time travel. But while it was responsible for bringing the concept crashing into the mainstream, Back to the Future was far from the first or last film to tear a strip off the space-time continuum. Whether by way of wormholes, telephone boxes, or even hot tubs, heroic adventurers and bemused bystanders have been thrust through time's gaping cake hole again and again in the name of entertainment. But while Bill and Ted, The Terminator, and Groundhog Day have all made a lasting impact, There are scores of time travel films that have been lost to the ages to be unearthed only by the most intrepid explorers. To this end, I've modified our producer Johnny's recording equipment to create a time machine of my own. My quest? 
to discover a truly lost classic among the ambitious but forgotten time travel films of the 20th century. Johnny, set coordinates for September the 28th, 1979. Directed by Nicholas Meyer, Time After Time is an oddball adventure in which Jack the Ripper evades the police officers of 19th century London by escaping to modern-day San Francisco in a time machine created by H.G. Wells. Horrified to discover his former friend as the infamous murderer, Wells pursues the Ripper through time with the intention of bringing him to justice himself. You've used me. And you've used my machine to escape the ends of justice. I must congratulate you on that device. I confess that at dinner the other century... I thought you'd lost your wits. But fate intervened and forced me to ascertain for myself that you are truly the Columbus of a new age, the dawn of time travel. While on his trail, Wells also meets and falls in love with bank employee and women's lib advocate Amy Robbins, whose life is threatened when the Ripper catches wind of her involvement with his would-be captor. Time After Time was critically acclaimed on release as a magical and fun adventure with something for everyone. But in hindsight, the film suffers from trying to bring together too many disparate tones and ideas. As H.G. Wells, Malcolm McDowell has a hard time walking the line between fish-out-of-water comedy and high-minded satire of contemporary attitudes to sex and violence. David Warner is suitably menacing as Jack the Ripper, but the presence of this legendarily vicious killer in a sometimes whimsical fiction can't help but feel misjudged, especially in the genuinely chilling murder scenes. But it's poor old Mary Steenburgen who has the hardest time, valiantly trying to negotiate the role of a women's libber, which is clearly written from a male perspective, sticking her with a couple of eyebrow-raising lines about lesbianism and rape that ironically make time after time feel like a film out of time. I'm a 20th century woman. I have a career and a mind of my own. Be reasonable. How am I going to make it in 1893? Is your work so important? It's your life we're talking about. My work is my life. As much as yours or any other man's. Steenbergen would go time travelling again in 1990 as Doc Brown's love interest in Back to the Future 3, a part directly inspired by her involvement in Time After Time. But perhaps this film's most enduring legacy is the fact that its title caught the eye of Cindy Lauper as she idly flicked through a TV guide resulting in one of the finest pop ballads of the 1980s. If you fall, I will catch you, I'll be waiting Time after time A fun oddity then, but not the classic we're after. Johnny, set coordinates for May the 9th, Since Time After Time isn't quite up to the challenge of being our last classic, I decided next to revisit a film I loved as a teenager. Sitting down one night after everyone had gone to bed, I tuned to BBC One to watch a film, only to be greeted with the dreaded words, in a change to our scheduled programme. I forget what the film I intended to watch was, but I've always remembered the one I got instead. Timescape, a TV movie directed by future Chronicles of Riddick director David Toohey, is one of the few films I've ever seen without knowing anything at all about it prior to viewing. In the case of this film, that was a major plus, 
and I will try and preserve that experience by not dropping too many spoilers in this synopsis, although time travel is obviously involved. Timescape stars Jeff Daniels and future Jurassic Park child star Ariana Richards as father and daughter Ben and Hillary, who, in the wake of a family tragedy, return to their hometown to set up a guest house. While still in the process of preparing the building, Ben is persuaded to allow a strange group of tourists to stay in the unrenovated house. Let's just start all over again. What do you want? Nothing. We're not open yet. You're going to have to make other arrangements. What about the hotel in town? Oh, no. No, 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 not the hotel. Well, I don't know what to tell you. You can tell me. How much? Three nights. Five rooms. Name your price. The mystery of who these tourists are, and the truly ghoulish reason for their visit, sets off a chain of strange occurrences that thrust Ben into the role of the town's only potential saviour. Like time after time, Timescape juggles a few different tones, including fantastical sci-fi, family drama and farcical comedy, but it does so far more deftly, and the resulting film is a fascinating curio. On reading its reviews, however, I was surprised to find that few people liked it as much as I did, with disappointment being a recurrent theme in its write-ups. Perhaps the film's Spielbergian cover art, coupled with its showy alternate title, Grand Tour, Disaster in Time, set up expectations of something more cinematic than the comparatively televisual, if thoughtfully executed, reality. I still recommend Timescape to people looking for something a bit different, but clearly its appeal isn't quite as universal as I'd envisaged, meaning it won't really do as the holy grail in our quest for a lost classic. <sighs> Never mind. Fire up the controls again, Johnny, and set coordinates for 23rd of May, 1986. The year after Back to the Future tore up the box office, a small British company called Yellow Bill Films were working on finally bringing W.E. John's under-adapted character Biggles to the big screen. With their corny, stiff-upper-lip style and dated attitudes, the Biggles books present their own set of challenges to any potential adapter, but the recent success of the Indiana Jones films seem to provide the ideal template for finally updating The Daring Aviator. Unfortunately, the recent trend for time travel tales also became an influence on the films, and suddenly Biggles went from adventure story to sci-fi. Its eventual American release was rechristened Biggles Adventure in Time. Suddenly lumbered with a storyline about a 1980s American business executive working on a campaign for TV dinners, the film devolved into a complete mess about Biggles having a time twin who is spontaneously thrust through a time hole to 1917 whenever the pilot needs rescuing. Destabilised by the multiple time periods, the forced international angle and a plot that makes no sense at all, Biggles became less aerodynamic by the minute and crash-landed at the box office. One need only look at the film's flying scenes, visually its most effective moments, to realise what's wrong. We see early 1900s aircraft soaring through the clouds, accompanied by the anachronistic synths, John Anderson's dreadful theme song, Do You Want To Be A Hero? And the incongruity can't help but make you airsick. Perhaps inevitably for a film so truly bizarre, Biggles has gained a cult following over the years, but the main reason most people see it nowadays is to watch Peter Cushing in his final screen role before his death. Oh, Peter, what a way for a legend to go out. 
There's no way this is our last classic. Chucks away, Johnny. Let's set coordinates for 1990. Time loops are a different angle on the time travel narrative, which have become surprisingly prevalent in modern cinema since the success of Groundhog Day. Howard Ramis's comedy featuring Bill Murray as a grumpy weatherman trapped in the same 24-hour period has come to be regarded as a classic, and if the reference point that got name-checked when films like Edge of Tomorrow and Happy Death Day came out. But Groundhog Day has a notable predecessor in Jonathan Heap's short film 12.01pm, in which Kirkwood Smith plays businessman Myron, who finds himself inexplicably trapped in the same one-hour period during his lunch break. 12.01pm was Oscar nominated and the makers began working on a full-length feature version for television which came out in 1993 but they were dismayed to discover Groundhog Day emerging the same year which completely overshadowed their film and even led to it being seen as a rip-off of the more successful comedy. Their legal action was pursued, the case was eventually dropped and both versions of 12.01pm fell into obscurity but the original 25-minute short in particular warrants rediscovering. Quite different from Groundhog Day, the film takes a much darker approach by trapping its protagonist in a much shorter space of time. Anyone he manages to convince of his plight immediately forgets what he's told them, and he can't even eat his lunch without being hungry again an hour later. Something terrible has happened to the whole world. The whole universe. You see, it's like... It's like we're stuck. You know, like a, like a needle on a scratch record. It all starts at 12.01. And everything goes along fine until 1 o'clock. And then, bam, the whole world snaps back to 12.01 again. The film ultimately shifts from a smart sci-fi concept to a thriller, as Myron discovers the work of a scientist who has predicted the possibility of such a time loop and begins a quest to get in touch with him to find a way out of his living hell. Though it incorporates a handful of comic moments, 12.01pm more often forces the viewer to experience Myron's increasing despair right alongside him, making the way the film ends one of the most hauntingly indelible screen moments I've ever encountered. This gem of a short film certainly fits the bill of a lost classic. But at only 25 minutes, I guess we found our opening featurette, but not our main attraction. <sighs> Once more onto the breach then, Johnny. Let's set coordinates for 16th of January, 1982. The film we're here to talk about was actually released in 1977, but we've deliberately arrived on this day in 1982 because it's the date of its one and only broadcast on UK television, and this moment has become a crucial part of its enduring cult status among an unexpected group, football fans. On this particular day, BBC One's scheduled airing of Match of the Day was delayed, and viewers were left with time to fill and only two more channels to choose from. Oddly enough, the other two channels were both premiering sci-fi films. ITV was showing American space thriller Capricorn 1. The more adventurous BBC Two opted to air Jindrick Polak's Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scold Myself with Tea. As a result, while they waited for kickoff, many football fans found themselves drawn into this film's strange and captivating world, so much so that not all of them turned back over once Match of the Day started. It's hard to imagine a time when there were only three TV channels to choose from. I grew up with the luxury of four. But it's even harder to imagine a time when any of them would schedule a Czech sci-fi comedy that never had a British release. 
in a primetime slot. Whatever inspired this commendably adventurous choice, Tomorrow I Wake Up was never repeated on British TV again and was never given a British video or DVD release, presumably leading many viewers to conclude that they'd dreamed the whole thing. And Tomorrow I Wake Up is indeed a dream of a film. It is virtually impossible to encapsulate the film's unique atmosphere in words. But here goes. The Universum Company offers rich tourists the chance to travel through time in rockets to observe moments from history. The tourists are sealed in the rockets so they cannot interfere with the past and risk creating alternate futures. However, a group of elderly Nazis who have survived and stayed relatively youthful in appearance through the use of anti-aging pills intend to abuse the technology to return to Germany in 1944 and offer a desperate Hitler the hydrogen bomb, therefore making him invincible and creating an alternate timeline in which the Nazis emerge victorious. The elderly Nazis bribe a pilot named Carol to help with their scheme, but on the morning of the intended voyage, Carol chokes to death on a bread roll. Witnessing this, Carol's usually straight-laced, identical twin brother Jan seizes the opportunity to step into his brother's shoes and acquire the job he envies and the girlfriend he secretly desires. This impulsive decision has disastrous repercussions for all involved, ultimately forcing Jan to flip backwards and forwards through time in an attempt to sort out the messy's cause. All this is without even mentioning the family of rooftop circus performers, the suitcase full of underwear, the futuristic bleach that destroys everything it touches, and the paralysing pepper spray that turns its victims green for a short period of time. Combining elements of searing satire with classic farce, and an atmosphere that recalls eerie 70s children's TV, Tomorrow I'll Wake Up and Scold Myself With Tea fits the bill of the lost classic we've been searching for. Ah, which means we can finally set coordinates for home, Johnny. Johnny? Where's he gone? Johnny! Uh, now, as you know, uh, my brain, which I give the nickname Tangent, <laughs> only seeks to share with you now that Cindy, L- Cindy Lauper, I mean, time after time, what a tune. Yeah, what? I mean, honestly. And coincidentally, I... I, I read your piece and then uh, I, I listened to that uh, on the way here tonight not and it was just on the radio and I thought oh oh well now there's a glowing <laughs> but it's just oh they don't write them like that <laughs> that's a good song no, good swearing, no swearing in it they didn't feel the need to swear it's all swears these days <laughs> I understand ages me but it's true um, but Cindy Lauper 30 years old when uh, Girls Just Want Our Fun came out. 30 Flipping it. I know I assumed she was like in her early 20s didn't we all I know she's brilliant she is <laughs> Anyway, um, so <laughs> characters, and we talk about characters. One question I've definitely written down. I mean, I'm just looking at your piece of paper there. When we're looking at a family tree. Um, yeah. So we're certainly not going to go into all those. Much. To, I mean, I know you want to delve back into it as much as possible, Andy. <laughs> um, but let's, let's take up, say, two or three characters, and let's talk about, well, obviously, the yellow-coated wonder. Um, <laughs> he did kind of just have one expression quite a lot of the time, didn't he? I didn't mind. I'm sorry, I just think he's absolutely beautiful. In both his guises, as a young one and as the stranger as well. Mm. Um, and he yeah, was, as yeah, I say, I he's that. the only likeable character in it. And he does do a lot more again in season two. There's a lot yeah. more. He gets much more complex, much more complex. Oh, my goodness. Mm. So sometime so, between, say, nineteen, uh, sorry, 2019 and 2052... Yes. He has some different facial expressions. <laughs> a huge amount. A huge amount, no less. Can we talk about so, Noah? Is he creepy enough? I'm going to let you two answer that because I know too much about him now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Andy, did you find him creepy enough? I, oh, I, I didn't find anyone anything enough in it. So. Mm. <laughs> okay. I see, we, I see where we're going. Did you find him creepy enough? 
I think the reason I've asked the question is probably not. No. But how... Uh, there's a line, isn't there? If you make it too creepy, does he fall over into pantomime? Yeah. I suppose... Yeah, yeah. I see your point, actually. I see your point. Um, oh, it's the old stereotypical thing of loads of tattoos on your back. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Which, I don't know. I mean, that's most of London now, isn't it? I mean, but I, just, I don't think that that's... So the thing is, they're trying to keep everybody reasonably ambiguous. Because Over ten episodes, though. No, but it's <laughs> difficult, I mean, though, because... The second series has got eight episodes. I mean, this could have been wound up in eight, couldn't it? Really? I don't know. Because no. there's a lot of plot in it. So, um, And it had to end on the thing that it ended on, with the things that happened having happened. <laughs> so it had to fill that space. But that ambiguity and that he's not creepy enough, I don't feel enough, that person's not that character enough... They're all very grey. There's no, you can't paint them in broad strokes. You can't say that one's a bad one, that one's a good one, that one's this, that one's that. You okay. can't do that in this because right. it's that's not how it plays out. What, what is that so, to, to hang on to with anything? Though I didn't understand what there what there was to to make you interested in them really. As... I'm not interested in them per se. I'm interested in what's happening to them. You know, and in, I'm interested in how families intertwine and how how people can betray each other really easily and. Does it, what does it, makes somebody a good person? What makes somebody a bad person? And how am I painting these people when actually it turns out I was pretty wrong about a couple of them <laughs> because I'd totally imprinted something on them, which I was completely wrong to do. So I found that ambiguity. When you first meet somebody, they've all got masks on most of the time anyway. Like this idea of, you know, the friendship between Katerina and Hannah is just absolutely toxic. Hannah's always despised Katerina and yet, you know, to their face, oh, you're lovely, la, la, la. But um, it's just that family intrigue. But it's more to do with what happens to them than the characters themselves. But I, I just felt like they were being moved around like chess pieces. They were like, we need mm-hmm. them here now for this and this. Well, I really want to talk about season two. <laughs> <laughs> but but, really if, but if, it, if it takes if it takes to season two for those revelations to come about, well, not all of them, hasn't some. season one failed? Well, apparently not for millions of people. Yeah, idea, yeah. Only for you and a couple of others. Because <laughs> 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 most of us are pretty intrigued and it has been incredibly successful and, and lots of people are watching it. So it has succeeded. It hasn't failed. But it has for you and a few other people. Yeah, but then to be but fair, then... I was uh, I struggled to follow the flying scenes in Top Gun. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I think it just depends on, I don't know, maybe on the way your, your mind works or something. I don't know. I, I just... wrote down curtain twitches TV. Uh, I felt like it was all kind of just peeping through your vines going, oh, that person down the road, are they, they, do you think they might be having an affair? Yeah, and but... oh, are they pregnant? And yeah. you're not getting close enough to any of it. You just sort of... So all you're seeing is the revelations about their lives as you can sort of piece together, but you're not getting anything satisfyingly... No, no, you're not, and I don't and mind that. to me, that. that's flat. <laughs> no, I like it. I like trying to make a jigsaw. And they're giving you little bits. Oh, jigsaw. I've got that written down. See, <laughs> uh, jigsaw. Some, uh, <laughs> it was very congratulatory then. <laughs> some, something that I came across a lot of the time when I was reading this was a lot of people described this sort of TV as novelistic. And I've seen a lot of that that used a lot in terms of things like The Sopranos and Mad Men and things like that, neither of which I've actually seen. But uh, watching this, I didn't feel it was novelistic because it's not like... I couldn't imagine those characters on the page. And I've put it's more like a jigsaw. It is more like a jigsaw. Because you're getting more of the picture as it goes along. Yeah, it's definitely not novelistic, if that's what it means. Oh, I love them, you see. There you go, there's a difference. It's it's trying to do a jigsaw without the picture. You know, they give you the picture to work from, which I suppose could be massively satisfying with some people. 
I've only ever done that once. We bought a jigsaw at a jumble sale once and mixed in with what was in the box, there was clearly pieces of another jigsaw, Ooh. which we were interested enough to cool. construct. And it was Mr. T. Oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> if if Dark brilliant. ends with a cameo. Mr. T. Yes. <laughs> That'd be so brilliant. No, no, well, we all know how it's going to end. This is going to be uh, <laughs> the exact same scene as the first scene again. Going around in circles. Isn't it? <laughs> I think it's going to all be a dream. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it called dark? I'm still trying to figure that out. I think it's to do with. Um, oh, I can't say. It's dark I can't the, say. It's dark in the caves. <laughs> it's dark in the caves, yeah. It's just dark in it's, it, everyone. Yeah, that's that's what like a lot of people online just say. Well, it's obvious. It's just because it's tonally dark. Mm. <laughs> I thought, well, you don't you don't write a sitcom and call it funny, do you? It's, <laughs> it can't be that simple. I think it's maybe it's because I was in the dark about the plot. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's due to the darkness that resides in human hearts as well, and it's to do with it's, that. Too. It's probably multi layered. Oh, probably the dark <laughs> darker the forest and everything. Absolutely. <laughs> This is right. T- tell us when you get to the end of the third season. I will do. Yeah. I will do. And I'll say, do you know, it was all about that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's a very high possibility of a very unsatisfactory ending. Um, <laughs> because it's just, it's one of these things I've invested so much time in. And it's like, I kind of know where I think it might go. But honestly, from what happened at the end of season two, I'm like, full bets are off. When full things like this off. get that beloved, though. Do you think people set themselves up for that? Oh, oh completely. Like after game, the reaction to the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah, Again, yeah. the series I never watched. It happens but. with everything. It happened with Harry Potter. It happened with all sorts of things. Because only a few things that it doesn't, isn't yeah, there? Yeah, I can't think of anything where people have gone, what a brilliant ending. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad people raved oh, about. Yeah. I gave up on Breaking Bad in the fourth series. <laughs> but no, as a society... Here you go, this is bold. <laughs> as a society... We're not taught to deal with any kind of ending, mm. Mm. Uh, because obviously the ultimate ending we all deny. Yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but to simplify it as well, you just look at it, and it, it, like all those examples you brought up about any TV series ending or or anything um, that you've put any time in or effort or something like that. Once it, it stops, mm. particularly initially and particularly with our access to be able to broadcast our feelings to the world. Um, but yeah, yeah. As a, as, as a society, we need to deal with endings better. <laughs> That's true. I mean, what also happens and is happening with Dark at the moment is that there are so many fans and so many nerds out there. <laughs> I, I class myself as a nerd. Oh yeah, um, yeah. yeah. We, we've, we've, they've, they've devised some of them absolutely brilliant theories, like completely brilliant. And I'm reading them going, well, if it's anything less than that, it's not going to be good enough. <laughs> That's a problem, isn't it? It really people is. People get there beforehand and they... Yeah. And people really do... Uh, there was like a big plot point in Game of Thrones that the fans guessed, wasn't right, there? Yeah. Uh, okay, but we're not going to go there. Pop <laughs> but it's the same with, like, with Harry Potter as well. There's so much fan fiction. And I got really into the fan fiction a few years ago because it was some of it was so brilliantly written. Sorry, JK, but some of it was written better than you did. <laughs> and um, brilliant storyteller, but not the world's best writer, per se. She's yeah. brilliant storyteller, brilliant imagination. But I do think some editing might have maybe not gone amiss. But um, so some of this fan fiction was sensational, really, really good. And the way they were taking it was really clever. So when I actually did read the end, I was like, oh, that was nowhere near as good as that. Yeah. That, that girl from Sweden. <laughs> that stuff is brilliant. And, you know, the the end of Harry Potter, the very end, the epilogue bit, I've actually put a ribbon around that on my book and I'm never going to read it again. <laughs> really? Yeah, I hated it so much. Oh. I was like, I'm never reading that again, so I put a ribbon around it. See what I mean? We can't deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I have no chance. That that was the ending. That's what it was. Oh, I 
wanted to read the end. Deal with it. <laughs> um, I like that you wrapped it in a ribbon. You didn't tear it out. Like you no, were... I can't tear it out. <laughs> now, steady word. on there. The wind's just gone flush. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you do writing books. Do you have books? I do not write in books. No. Clean your mouth out, yeah. soap, young man. <laughs> Even textbooks. Uh, oh, now textbooks, that's a different kettle of fish. Oh, right, okay. But if it's a novel, if it's a story, oh, hallowed ground. <laughs> we do not write in books, nor do we fold down the edges of pages. We have bookmarks and till receipts for that. Till receipts. Okay, so all my ending questions have been answered through. <laughs> through here because we know you're going to watch it well, we, we can't, reveal it. We can't it. even sit here and say uh, what do we think is going to happen next which we would normally do at this point because you know what happens next <laughs> and I can you ask, couldn't answer care. the question what do you think happens exactly yes. so it's a bit of a skew with ending I do like the word skew <laughs> isn't it good it's great squiff <laughs> I, I, that just came I didn't even think about that it's a nice one I didn't even write it down I like the yellow coat look it's there at the end again look Yellow coat. Just get yourself a yellow coat. Get over it. <laughs> yellow doesn't suit me. I've tried this a few times. Really? I know, I know. It's eyes, really though. frustrating. It washes me out. S- similar co- it's a similar skin colour to Jonas. I'm okay with orange. I'll bring my orange. You've seen my orange coat, right? Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll wear you that look next. good, isn't it? Yeah, thanks, mate. I'll wear, I'll wear that next time we come in. I haven't worn it for ages. I really feel like I'd be back on it again. <laughs> Which I think, as you know, dithering away, <laughs> knows we're coming to the question. Um, which I, I think you'll be pleased with. You'll be pleased with this. Uh, I think we all know how good my pronunciation is. Oh, flip. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it Dunkel? Which is what? I have no clue. Oh, it, obviously. Dunkel? Dark. Oh, okay. Right? Or, <laughs> honestly, people. I always talk to the listener. I much prefer doing that. <laughs> or is it Lichbewoch? Lichbewoch? Lichbewoch. Meaning? Slightly overcast. I'm not going to attempt to say that. I can uh, just do the leak bit and, that, and it well, all goes you wrong. You, 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 would, you would say dunkel or whatever it is. Uh, <laughs> dunkel. Leak buoch. Oh, that sounded quite good. <laughs> oh, that was it. Oh, right. That was yeah. nothing like what you did. <laughs> uh, when we say dark, we say... Dunkel. Dunkel. That's okay. wrong with okay. that. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to do the translations of those things I did in the intro. <laughs> Honestly, it's best. So sorry, any German people out there. They, they wouldn't get it either. It's <laughs> And that's probably, yeah, you're right, actually, that's where the insult lies. In which case, <laughs> really we have my is. wholehearted apology, particularly in this day and age. We can't look back and say, I, should, I, I genuinely should have known better. No. <laughs> But I give it a go. Here, here he is. I give it a go. It's, it's better true. to try and fail, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. Now then, enough of that nonsense. Um, so all that remains is to say thank you to you for listening. Um, particularly you, the audience. I, mean, I really enjoy talking to you. I think it'll be a different podcast uh, come out pretty soon where Paul talks to the audience. <laughs> oh, great. That's what's we'll out of the job. We'll get, some, <laughs> we'll get some sense out of this. Uh, thanks to our producer, as always, Johnny Hall. Thanks to Rachel. Thanks to Andy. Uh, and talking of Andy, pop on your genial hat, my friend, because it's time for a poem. It must be no lark to be scared of the dark, but it's worse to be scared of the morning. When that blasted alarm slices into the calm and sounds off the one-hour warning. I find the persistence of daily existence is harder when people can see. When the darkness I cherish must gradually perish, I have to go out and be me. 
Well, in my pyjamas, my day-to-day dramas recede while I'm safely invisible. But in jacket and tie, with the sun in the sky, I'm a figure exposed to be risible. I just wasn't made for that sunshine parade of permanent weekly employment, of profits and losses and arrogant bosses and nary a sniff of enjoyment. The dark is my saviour from daylight behaviour that seems to invariably lead back to that highly paid team who destroy my esteem with appraisals and negative feedback. They keep me in check as they breathe down my neck and attempt to extinguish the best of me, but when night comes about it is they who are snuffed out and I who control my own destiny. I long for when night overpowers the light and condemns it to temporary banishment, for the ghouls that are said to lurk under the bed are sweethearts compared to the management. You've been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Burnett. Our theme music was composed by Ron Butcher. If you've enjoyed the show, please do tell your friends about us, share links to our show, or write us a nice review on iTunes. If you'd like to contact us, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook, or go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Next time on Spoiler, we're watching the 2014 British comedy drama, Pride. Oh, and and we've got a name. LGSM. Lesbians and gays support the minors. It's not very catchy. That's a support group, Steph, not a scuffle band. Spoiler is produced by Johnny Hall and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren Radio in the heart of the beautiful Cathedral City of Lincoln. (laughs) 